Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the special edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show as we uh, give an update on the situation between the town of Irvine government and, of course, Orange County SC for Championship Soccer Stadium. Uh, for those of you wondering what has happened, well, ladies and gentlemen, we can definitely say that both sides have come to an agreement. And they will be allowed, Orange County Soccer Club, Sports Club, uh, will be allowed to have a 2023 season at Championship Soccer Stadium at the Irvine Soccer Park. So that is a big victory for Orange County SC, the defending USL Championship winners, as they will now be relieved and can relax just as the supporters can relax, that their club will not be kicked out next at the end of this year and be ready to go for next year. And hopefully negotiations will begin with the town council and the government of Irvine to go and find out what will be done for the future after 2023. So that is a positive step. For Orange County SC, that is a positive step to the supporters and the workers of Orange County SC as they move forward to uh, having another season over at the Championship Soccer Stadium at the Soccer Park in Irvine, California. Now, before I play this, and I had a recorded interview with President of Orange County SC, Dan Rootstein, uh, here is the statement by the club that was posted on their website. And this was from Thursday evening, this past Thursday evening. Last night, Orange County Soccer Club secured one of the most important victories in club history, the right to stay at Championship Soccer Stadium for the 2023 season. The news was delivered at 10.30 p.m. <coughs> excuse me after a unanimous vote that gives OCSC the certainty it needs to plan for next season. <clears throat> Excuse me. We want to thank the council members and city staff for their work to get to this point. All we ever wanted was certainty for 2023, and now we have it. And we want to thank our fans, particularly those who sat through six hours of deliberations last night and have endured a difficult and uncertain period for the club. We also want to thank the fans of all other clubs around the world who have supported us through this journey. The soccer community in the U.S. is stronger than many people realize, and we are grateful for the support we, we received. We sold every seat in the house last Saturday for the game against Galaxy 2. And we expect to do the same against San Diego on October the 1st. 
Hundreds of season tickets have already been sold for 2023, and after all we've been through together the, this past few weeks, we can promise an electric game day atmosphere every weekend at Championship Soccer Stadium next season. This is a victory for common sense, for community, and for soccer fans everywhere. A message that local is here Irvine in Orange County. See you at Championship Soccer Stadium next season for goals, family entertainment, and for making memories with your community for county. And that, my friends, is a wonderful, wonderful gesture from the club as they prepare for 2023. But once again, they have to be ready to finish up this season and hopefully qualify for the 2023 USL Cup playoffs. Now it's time to uh, get ready for the recorded interview with President of Orange County SC, Dan Rootstein. And welcome back to the American Soccer Show, folks, here. Daniel Feuerstein, uh, very happy to have on my guest tonight. Of course, he is the president of Orange County SC from USL Championship. The president of the club is Dan Rootstein after a victory in the uh, Irvine City Council meeting that they will reclaim Championship Soccer Stadium in the soccer park of Irvine, California. Dan, welcome back, and uh, big victory for you, big victory for the club and for the supporters of Orange County SC. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Daniel, thank you for having me back on again. I think as I said to you last time, you know, where we were before, we weren't sure how this was all going to play out, but uh, thanks to the support of our fans, uh, we got what we wanted. So we, we went into the council meeting on Tuesday night, wanting one thing, which was a guarantee that we could play at Championship Soccer Stadium again in 2023. And after nearly six hours, we left that council meeting with a guarantee that we could play soccer at Championship Soccer Stadium in 2023. So as a club, we are delighted and we're grateful to the fans who sat through the meeting, the fans of the club who've supported us throughout, and frankly, and I said this before, the fans of teams across the nation, if not the world actually, have been incredibly supportive of this journey that we've been on. If I can ask you this, um, how tentative was the council members during this meeting? Obviously, I tried to keep uh, track of it as much as I could. Uh, there were those that did get out of their seats, and they, they've walked out, and one remained listening from a distance through Zoom, and apparently uh, one member was uh, on his uh, cell phone, reading or texting certain things while going on and I mean did you feel the uh, the respect from the council members uh, during this time of the council meeting or were they just waiting to hear your side of this uh, argument well, look, I, mean, I, I think in my remarks I made near the beginning of the meeting you know I, I said you know, none of us want to be at this meeting we just want to play soccer at our stadium and, you know, I, I meant that, and, and no disrespect to the proceedings of the council, and I, I said this to them, you know, it was a six-hour meeting. I, in a former life as a, as a journalist and also working for, a, for the government, 
sat through lots of government meetings, and government meetings are not designed to be entertaining. Uh, they're designed to get through the agendas and talk about important topics. And there was a lot on the agenda that night. There was a whole load of stuff around climate change and an asphalt plant, and there were some very vigorous and enthusiastic climate change activists there who spoke eloquently about their concerns about benzene poisoning. I mean, it was a, it was a long night, very little to do with football, um, with soccer. There was a few minutes discussion on our topic, and uh, at the end of the day, we got what we want coming out of that meeting. So, you know, I'm not looking forward to going back to a council meeting anytime soon. I'm sure our fans aren't. The key thing is, however we got there, we got there, and we got what we wanted. Absolutely. And, of course, uh, you posted a video on Twitter through the club's uh, Twitter account, and you have your own Twitter account as well, thanking the fans. So relieved and happy to uh, get your uh, victory from the council members, uh, including, I believe, the mayor also was there, I believe. A member of the mayor's office was there to attend this meeting. Yeah, so the, the mayor effectively chairs the meeting. So it was the mayor, the vice mayor, and three other council members, and obviously varying members of city staff. And everyone spoke, and there was a vote, and there was five votes, and all five went for us. So um, there I say that's the second time this year that we've got five against LA Galaxy. And um, it was the result we wanted, a unanimous decision by the council that we could stay on for another year, and we're delighted that we got that. Now, now that you're going to stay for another year... What does this mean for the club? What type of planning will there be during the rest of this season? Obviously, the off-season coming up. Of course, it also, also depends if you do qualify for the USL Championship playoffs and then going into 2023. What are going to be the plans moving forward if you feel like you would like to divulge at this time? Uh, if not, I understand. But if, you, if there are plans moving forward, I mean, what are the ideas for the club in the future? don't have to know very much about soccer to know that obviously even though this season is still ongoing plans are well underway for next year you know that, that enormous jigsaw puzzle which is the fixture list that leagues have to put together you know they need to get the planning well underway so we're in the position at the moment now that we've got the certainty we need you know we'll be submitting our fixture dates um, so that the USL can start working out who will be playing whom on which day next season and we you know we needed certainty to be able to join in that process and obviously we got it for which we are we are delighted um obviously we're still hoping to get into the playoffs so there's still work to be done this year we still have a home game against our traditional rivals of san diego and perhaps some of the sort of vitriol of that rivalry has disappeared a bit because actually they were so supportive of us as a club during this process for which we're very grateful um that won't affect our on-field performance obviously but you know we at sort of club level, we're grateful to San Diego, which is something we never thought we would be. And um, we're getting on with the planning for next year. Season tickets are on sale. Uh, not surprisingly, I imagine that a lot of the people who wanted us to stay are now backing that up and buying their tickets. Um, we had a sellout when we played LA Galaxy the other day. Wouldn't be surprised if we have a sellout again for the San Diego game on October the 1st. I imagine we're going to set a new record for season tickets for next year because the fans are so excited that we're staying and we're so excited that we're staying. And that's where we are. And coming out of the council meeting, part of it, apart from guaranteeing us we could play there next year, they also are setting up a process for us to talk about what, you know, beyond 2023 looks like. And we're, see, 
This has only just happened, but we're looking forward to sitting down with the city staff and getting into discussions about the future. Has uh, USL President Jake Edwards been in contact with you through this whole process? Has he had his opinions uh, for you about the future for the club? Uh, what's the next step, as you've said, you know, hoping to remain at Championship Soccer Stadium for now in the foreseeable future? What has President Jake Edwards uh, said to you uh, during your time of crisis? From the day we found out this was happening, we've been in constant contact with, with Jake and others from the league. They've been nothing but supportive throughout, uh, giving us advice, helping us with resource. They've been, they've been great. As you would expect them to be, you know, we are, until we're not, we are the USL champions. And, you know, we're a club who play in a soccer-specific stadium with a great pathway. We set a new transfer record this year for the league. You know, we are valued by the league as a forward-looking club in terms of what we're trying to do on and off the field. And uh, as we hope they would be, they've been incredibly supportive. We've been in constant touch with them through this process, and we're grateful to Jake and the other officials at the league for all their support. And that is wonderful to hear. And, you know, just to have the backing of the league front office and the league president to move forward and uh, hopefully... Uh, there won't be a second round of this uh, moving forward so that you and the club and the supporters can just concentrate on one thing and one thing only, what happens on the pitch, and to try and gain a second championship if possible, not only for this season but for 2023 as well. 100%. I mean, that's exactly right. This is all we've ever wanted. We just want to mind our own business, grow our soccer team, build our community, and... You know, we went through what we went through. We have no intention of going back to council meetings again, unless it's to do what we did last year, which is to go in there and receive a proclamation from the city, which is what they gave us after we won the national championship the previous year. Uh, we want to stay out of politics. We just want to get on and do our job, which is running a soccer team, giving our fans what they want, giving the community a place to make memories. Now, I want to reiterate my question again since our last interview, and, you know, obviously I'm not trying to delve into your finances, but, you know, will there be on the table with the front office having conversations for yourselves and maybe back to the uh, City Council of Irvine, uh, as you said, you don't want to be involved in politics, but the question I will still inquire is this, will there some way be somewhere down the line uh, leaving Championship Soccer Stadium to construct Orange County's own soccer stadium? So, every soccer team playing at any level of soccer, frankly, anywhere in the world, would love to own their own stadium and all that that means. Um, you know, in the, in the long-term plan, how could we not want that? But, you know, for the moment, all we're interested in is where we are, which is we love playing in that stadium. We now have certainty to plan for next year. We have a pathway to discuss what the future looks like. So for now, that's all, all we're thinking about. And that's all we want to hear, and that's all we want to know, that where you're going to be playing and uh, no more strife and no more problems going forward. Dan, I really appreciate your time. I know you're very busy right now with the club going on, everything that's been going on uh, over there in Irvine. But congratulations. Uh, you're secure for the end of this season and uh, 
next season in 2023. Good luck with this season and uh, qualifying for the playoffs. And hopefully Orange County does become back-to-back champions. That's very kind. And thank you. I've said this to every journalist who's covered this story. You know, we as a club, we appreciate the platform that people have given us. This has been an arduous time for the club, worrying about things that, you know, ideally soccer clubs don't need to worry about. And our fans definitely don't want to be worrying about. But uh, we've got the result we're looking for, and we're grateful to our fans and the fans of all teams for giving us a chance to tell our story and help us get where we needed to do, which get what we wanted to get, which is the chance to play at our at our home again for one more year at, at a minimum. Absolutely. Good luck this year, and talk to you next time. And that was uh, President of Orange County SC, Dan Rootstein, as once again Orange County SC of USL Championship League, <coughs> excuse me, uh, is secure for the 2023 season. And hopefully there will be a plan to move forward uh, to remain there, or hopefully if they have the uh, funds to construct their own stadium. Join me right now uh, to talk about this, as well as Carter Krishnaya from World Soccer Talk, as we d- dive deep into this situation. Carter, um, you know, we try not to emulate or compare ourselves with clubs in England, the soccer structure that goes on in England, even though, uh, you know, many people will continue to be screaming for a pro-rel, calendar change, everything going on like that. But where have you ever seen in Europe, maybe even in Mexico, maybe in other countries that uh, uh, a club in a higher division, like what the LA Galaxy is in MLS as the first division side, try to work out a way to underhand and undermine a lower division club within the same area, but Basically, it's really none of their business what they do uh, unless they're finding a way to kick out said club of that uh, championship soccer stadium that uh, Orange County went through with the Irvine City Council at the, at the time. It, it doesn't happen. It's, it's really unprecedented. I mean, uh, we've seen uh, clubs lose their ground because of various disputes with landlords, uh, 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 rugby team, right? We, we saw – seen those sorts of disputes in England uh, on grounds uh, Coventry City famously uh, had uh, had built the Rico Arena and then uh, uh, when they hit some financial problems they, they defaulted on payments and reverted to to the, to the city then a rugby uh, side took control of it and they began moving around they're now back there by the way uh, but they, they moved around for a couple of years to Northampton and to St. Andrews and Birmingham uh, but it, it's, it's very very rare and we've never seen something like this. I, in my experience, I haven't seen a a uh, bigger team, uh, a, 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 a first division side trying to take a second division side. Uh, and by the way, also uh, effectively, it would impact the third division side, uh, Cal United, uh, as well in Visa. Um, take them out of the ground and take control of the ground. And this is the uh, culture. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into pro-rel and uh, calendar change and, and solidarity payments, and I think the, the, the things that are needed for reform in this country tonight. But at the same time, if you had a unified system, even if it well, didn't have pro-rel, but the business interests of MLS uh, clubs were 
connected to what happens in the lower division, even if there wasn't promotion and relegation, even if we're playing on this, this calendar that we're playing on now. Uh, there would be a different approach. There would be some degree of shared sacrifice, shared interest in uh, the sport. And I, I've dealt with this. Having worked at the lower division level, I've, I've dealt with the fact that MLS is a business, right? And MLS clubs are businesses, and they're not custodians of the game. And this is something that, that people have to understand. And I, I think this situation has helped to raise awareness about that, has raised awareness that um, MLS clubs and MLS itself are not always looking out for the good of the game. And we're, of course, talking about a club that won the second division championship last year. So if we did have promotion and relegation, I mean, obviously regular season, you could say the Rowdies were the best team. Maybe they would have gone up. But given the system we have with playoffs, they're a team that if we had a system like the rest of the world would have been a first division team. So this is not some um, some uh, uh, fourth division adult amateur side, uh, although even that is not uh, is not good when MLS sides do that. So this is a, an ongoing problem. And um, once we establish MLS as a business and the uh, Anschutz Entertainment Group is a business, they own the Los Angeles Galaxy. They're a huge business. Um, and that they have also AEG makes money off of uh, uh, controlling venues, right? They control a venue in Las Vegas now that's very popular. They control um, some of the economic rights actually to the new uh, Spurs Stadium, the new Tottenham Stadium in, in London. So this is their business model. So getting control of this facility in Irvine is part of the business model of the owners of the LA Galaxy and also of Major League Soccer. And um, there's also the, the competitive aspect where they want to take out a competitor, right? That's in a, a comp, comp, uh, competitor's league, the champion of a competitor's league. So these sorts of things are the fault of the U.S. Soccer Federation game. Now, I've gone about it in a roundabout way. But they have failed to establish a culture where everyone works together and where everybody has a shared interest to promote the sport. That's what they should be doing. And they should be facilitating relationships between leagues, between teams in local areas, right? All these teams should be working together. There are two first division teams in Los Angeles County. There, uh, there are two other professional teams in the L.A. area, which are in Orange County, right? Uh, or two other uh, independent professional teams. And I mentioned, right, uh, Orange County in, in USL mm-hmm. and Cal mm-hmm. United. Uh, the LA Force also or Anita. So there's several other professional teams in the area. And then you have a number of adult amateur teams that are in the USL League Two and in the uh, in, in, in NTSL, et cetera. There should be some relationship between all of these clubs. Instead, you have the Galaxy going out and being predators, trying to, trying, let's be perfectly frank about this, trying to put Orange County FC out of business. That is what they were trying to do. And they, that's what they were doing. It's not just Orange County SC that uses that facility. It's also Cal United Strikers of Nyssa that also share that facility as well. So in some senses, uh, LA Galaxy was trying to get rid of two clubs so that they can run the whole soccer park themselves. And at the same time, you know, if you saw the memo, and, you know, I, I want to thank um, that uh, – I, I really want to thank that blogger who – was uh, on top of everything uh, with the uh, you know Freedom for Information Act. Let me get his name real quick because I don't want to 
I don't want to slight him because he's the one. He covers uh, Phoenix Rising uh, in the Phoenix area for USL Championship, and I will get to his name in just a moment uh, once I get to um, his tweet. And I know I saved it, and I sent it to you, Cardick. So um, I just want to make sure that I get his name correctly uh, and to give him uh, – yes, Owen Evans. Um, he'll be now joining uh, a podcast that covers the Phoenix uh, professional sports in the Phoenix, Arizona area, and that includes, of course, uh, the Arizona Coyotes of the National Hockey League. And, of course, that will be a different situation anyway uh, with a different sport. But anyway, I want to give him credit for you know getting the information with all the notes and the uh, uh, the conversations that Chris Klein of the LA Galaxy had with a member of the city council of Irvine about this dastardly thing because this originally was supposed to be about securing training facilities for those national teams that would qualify for the FIFA World Cup in 2026, uh, whoever will be performing at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, which is the new NFL home of both the L.A. Chargers and the defending Super Bowl champion L.A. Rams, and then all of a sudden it merged into how we get LA Galaxy 2 into their facilities. Yeah, so Daniel, I don't know the answer to this. I I think you might know. Is that SoFi Stadium, is that controlled by Anschutz Entertainment Group? Is that another one of their facilities? You know what? I have to double check on that, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was. So let's so let me take a look real quick and uh uh to see if that is a, a member of Anschutz Entertainment Group. And we'll see what happens. But still, uh we shall see. Uh actually, uh it is actually uh owned by Cronky Sports. Um, So I would say no. That's another MLS owner. So okay, it's still it kind of it kind of it's kind of the same deal. I thought it would be AEG, but it's it's Kroenke. So that's um, so they're trying to control all the venues. Is my point in the in the uh, Greater Los Angeles area? Yes. And uh, apparently, also owns the Hollywood Park racetrack. And the Hollywood Park Casino, the L.A. Bowl, HKS. So there you go. There you have it. So uh, there it is. What else is what else is new? But let me just say this, Cardick. You know, as I've said before, and I've said this to you many, many times, I've been preaching this for a long, long time. And, yeah, I know you don't want to get into the situation of promotion relegation or the calendar change. You know, that's not what this is about. But in some ways it is more towards pro-rel than it is calendar change because of one reason and one reason only. And I've been saying this ever since I started delving into the situation with can it work in this country for having professional soccer implementing promotion relegation in the future for this sport in this country, just like what goes on in Europe, what goes on in South America, everywhere around the world that it does have the ability to do it. And I've said this many, many times, Cardick. Every club that is owned in every professional league in this country that is so-called under the umbrella of U.S. soccer must build their own stadium. They cannot rent facilities anymore. They should not rent facilities anymore, regardless of where it is, either a college 
sports arena, college stadium, minor league baseball stadiums, uh, athletic parks, high school stadiums now, which what Oklahoma City, uh, Oklahoma Energy was, OKC Energy was at the uh, USL Championship. And I don't know if they're ever going to come back. We'll see what happens. But if you have these teams build their own stadiums, not only do you control uh, the venue, not only do you, are you allowed to set the times for all the home matches that you can play in, but you also handle the revenue, uh, the revenue system that you get from tickets, from parking, from concessions, food and beverage, everything. And as of right now, outside of NISA, not every club in every professional league has their own stadium. And while MLS still has soccer stadiums, and you still have teams like Atlanta, New England, Seattle, they play in NFL stadiums. Charlotte, of course, starting this year, plays in an NFL stadium because they're owned by NFL owners. New York City FC is playing in Yankee Stadium, and that's still a problem no matter what anyone says. If we implemented promotion relegation right now, half or more of these clubs in second division and third division will be handed a financial death that they cannot come back from because the rent money that will be asked of them will be raised once they get promoted to MLS. And then once they go relegated back to USL Championship, that rent amount will not be lowered try to re-promote themselves back to MLS, just like what Newcastle United has done in the Premier League, just like what Norwich has done in the Premier League, and what Crystal Palace used to do, and all these other clubs. Even Burnley has done it twice. Yeah. Yeah, three times, actually, with Burnley. Yeah, three times. So, you know, as I've said, this is the biggest curveball in this argument that I have ever seen, I mean, what the Galaxy tried to do, and they even have a track and field stadium that their two-team uses, but I don't understand why they want out of there when everything is in the same facility for not only their MLS team, but you know their, their USL Championship 2 team, which will now go to MLS Pro next, next season. It, it, it's just mind-boggling, and I just cannot fathom that. I really can't. And what also bothers me is this, and I'm not taking shots at people that continue to say, you know, the, the nature of the game, the health of the game, the beauty of the game is what goes on, you know, with pro-rel and everything. And I understand that. That's not my argument. My argument has always been that this cannot come in until this major problem gets fixed. Because as of right now, and I have taken, uh, you know, uh, Google Docs, uh, Google Sheets, whatever have you, I have listed in all of the, prom the professional leagues going from MLS, both USL professional leagues and championship. And it would be Flower City Union playing at the former home of Rock or, you know, the former home of the Rochester Rhinos, now Rochester, New York FC, and Chicago House uh, at SeatGeek Stadium that used to be the Chicago Fire home. Now they're back in Soldier Field in the NFL. 
Chattanooga FC has a very good working relationship with the university, so they use Finley Stadium, so that's never going to happen. But the majority is either town-owned stadiums, high school stadiums, private school stadium, athletic field, college field, minor league baseball stadiums. This is a problem that is not going to get fixed overnight, Cardick. This is the problem we have for the sport. And while it's halfway, I would say it's halfway there solved, but there's still a problem that still needs to be fixed, and that is building stadiums meant for the game. Yeah, and, and, and so this is, the, uh, this is the thing that uh, I think is really a problem with the American system. Okay, I, again, I don't want to get too deep into pro-rel, uh, calendar change, et cetera, today. But because uh, owners end up having to pay a fee to join a league, they often don't have the th- – that money could be spent on stadiums, doing the sorts of things to build infrastructure that sustains their clubs uh, rather than um, this uh, writing a $300 check that then goes back to other MLS owners, $300 million check, excuse me. And I said $300 check, $300 million check. In USL, you know, it's, it's, it's 10 or $15, uh, 10 or $15 million now, which is, uh, I, I guess, the one thing I will say for, uh, for uh, um, from, for, in terms of, jeez, uh, um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, USL, they do give you the buy-in to USL production. Uh, with that, with that money, uh, and obviously MLS gives you the buy-in to some, but uh, still, I think if if entrance fees, uh, franchise fees, whatever you want to call them for these leagues, uh, it's a franchise fee in USL. In uh, MLS, it's uh, you're buying into the league, right? Because it's a single entity league. You're buying shares uh, in Major League Soccer and in Soccer United Marketing. If those were a little lower, you could put some of that money in, in, into infrastructure. Land acquisition, I guess USL has now got a real estate arm, effectively, um, as uh, I think we talked about on previous shows. So that USL does realize that they have to do this to get their teams uh, real estate and, 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 and uh, stadiums where even if they don't have their own stadium, they're controlling the dates, right, at the very least. You're controlling the dates. You're controlling uh, maybe the parking and the concessions and things like that. Um, if there's another concession year, you could buy out that concession year. The, the problem, though, uh, with this is that uh, I still think that uh, it's easier if you don't have to stroke a big check um, at the, at, 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 on the front end to join a league. So that's uh, effectively an issue. Now, NISA um, has, has claimed that they don't have entrance fees, so – this allows their clubs to build infrastructure. So I'd like to see if uh, down the line that actually happens. I'm not optimistic because I think most of the ownership groups that are in NISA, um, there, there are two ownership groups right now in NISA that I think are very good. Matt Yuga, who everybody knows about. Uh, and we just lost Cardick there, and hopefully he'll come back and uh, uh, join us again. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's right and that it is a situation where you, uh, you have to say that, uh, it is about financial, uh, 
uh, advantages moving forward. And it's a situation where it has to uh, be fixed up. Then we got uh, Cardick back on with us again. And go ahead, Cardick. You got you cut out there for a minute, but continue on, please. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying that Chattanooga and Cal United are the two uh, really high-end side ownership groups, I believe, in NISA. Uh, the rest are not. So, um, obviously, you mentioned the Chattanooga situation. They have a good situation with Finley. And in terms of uh, – um, in terms of Cal United, they're caught up in this, this, this situation that we're talking about tonight, with uh, same, same situation as Orange County SC is in. So uh, now if I'm Cal United, I'm looking at um, investing in, in some, some – finding some land, some property, doing something. It's very difficult in Orange County, and it's very difficult in Los Angeles County. And you don't want to end up being uh, out in, in, in Ventura County or, or – uh, and actually, for Cal United, their academy is in Irvine, so they can't be in uh, they can't even be in LA. So, so they need to be in Orange County. So this is the challenge, right? But teams, you're right. Teams do need to build their own stadiums, and I and I think that the cost of other things in U.S. soccer are making it difficult. Uh, but ultimately, I think uh, this is something that we know, and controlling venues uh, is important. And USL, to their credit understands this. So I think this Cal, this um, Orange County situation um, kind of caught them off guard and caught them by surprise. But they're in the process of trying to get their teams. Uh, they've even high, now have a vice president for real estate or some such title or chief real estate officer. They're actually now in the business of trying to help their club um, find land and build stadiums or get into better stadium situations. Uh, this having been said, Daniel, You've been saying this for 10 years, and they're just doing it now. So you've been saying it on this show uh, on Monday nights, not on Friday nights normally, but on Monday nights for 10 years, these teams need to get their own stadiums. USL now realizes it, and as I said, to their credit, they're doing it. But maybe they needed to take this initiative um, 10 years ago, five years ago, and some of these teams wouldn't be in this position. No, exactly. And that's where I think uh, this would strengthen – uh, the American player to you know play at stadiums that are going to be ready to go and uh, uh, should also uh, you know make them better, perform better, do everything better. I mean, in the eleven, uh, and USL Championship has uh, announced that they're ready to build a stadium and it's going to be near Lucas Oil Stadium uh, in downtown Indianapolis, actually south of downtown Indianapolis, just south of the train station bus station near the Modal. Uh, and to the West, Soil Stadium, which is absolutely fantastic. But then here's the negativity that I'm throwing out there as well, Cardick. Charleston Battery, when they came into playing professional soccer in this country, outside of Bethlehem Steel, long time ago, ever soccer stadium, obviously a field and a, and a brick box, which is now the home of uh, Moravian College's college football team. Outside of that, Charleston Battery sold Blackboard Stadium. It's gone through many name changes, but I remember it originally was Blackboard Stadium. They sold the stadium to a developer so they can build apartments. And what did they do? Charleston Battery, they moved Patriots Point Stadium 
which is the college football stadium or the college soccer stadium for the University of Charleston. How is that possible? How how is yeah, that possible when you built year. the damn thing yeah, yourself? Yeah, so I, was, I was there. I was there at Patriots Point. Uh, actually, almost exactly a year ago, right? Uh, uh, the Battery played the Riverhound. So when was that? Uh, it's actually the last uh, competitive soccer match I've been to in person. Uh, that wasn't an Open Cup match. Uh, when was it? August of last year, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, they went from blackball to this place. This place is. Uh, I, I I it's it's just stepped down, and I'm wondering. Uh, and blackball. Now, granted, the one thing I will say about Patriots Point is it is much closer to Charleston. So you come across the Ravenel Bridge. You first exit, you get off. There's a there's a Navy ship there too, and a bunch of hotels. Right, I stayed at one of the hotels, and um, the stadium's right there. So it's much easier to get to from Charleston, but um, it is not the same experience. It, it is really uh, a step backwards. And I didn't think in this day we have one of our, our, our signature clubs. Right, that box one was the uh, was the gold standard. That was the uh, the original soccer specific stadium. And I would say one of the best as as latest. I mean, the last time I've been to Black Mod was 2015 when we played up there, the Strikers, in, a, in an Open Cup match. It was still in 2015, I'd say, for that size stadium, uh, even though at that point it was aging, it was still a gold standard stadium in this country. And then to go back to Charleston in 2021 and the stadium's not even there, and they're playing in this, uh, not only is it a college soccer stadium, I want to say that some other sports are being played there too. It just see, it felt like a multi-purpose facility that they had dressed up in battery colors um, for the night, to be honest with you. It, it had that very Meadowland uh, Metro Stars feel. That's how, that's yeah, how much I exactly. Play. Maybe it's a little partial to Black Bond, but yeah, I, so just for the listeners, I was there a year ago. I, I, I did not like that place. It's not the same thing. It is, it is the t- battery or less, no. less impressive club now. It's a fact, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you. And I think that's definitely a step – this is a major step down because this is a major step down from you know, what we're trying to achieve here in this country, that we're trying to prove to the people outside of our borders around the world we belong. We have great players. We have athletic players. They're doing wonderful things abroad in Europe, what Weston, what Weston McKinney has done at Juventus. Uh, even I know Pulisic's had his problems right now with Chelsea, but still he's in the Premier League. Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson, um, Jesse Marsh now managing Leeds United. And then you got, you know, other Americans performing in Germany, like Gio Reyna for Borussia Dortmund, and so on I mean, and so on. Folks having a great year with Union Berlin. He's gotten injured now, but um... – my, and that might derail his chances. Obviously, Berhalter didn't pick him, uh, but he's injured. I, I guess a lot of the fans that are going crazy on Twitter don't realize that. But, yeah, you have so many Americans doing well. Um, and, in fact, I mean, you have guys that have played in USL that are that are having successful careers in Europe. Uh, some of them aren't even Americans, right? I mean, uh, recently retired, but Glenn Murray had a really good Premier League career after playing for Wilmington. Uh, he's English. But uh, he played for Wilmington for a season or two. You had Chris Powell, who had played for Charleston, played when they opened Blackbaud. He was on that team uh, when they opened Blackbaud. He coached them at one point, too. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that the lower divisions, it's very important these lower division teams get their stadium uh, situation settled. And 
back to my point, uh, uh, Daniel, I think U.S. soccer has a role to play in this, and it's a role that they seem unwilling um, or, or just uh, maybe they don't care. But they, or, or they have some other reason they don't want to be involved, but they seem unwilling to play a constructive role to help uh, lower division teams and help uh, facilitate a better relationship between MLS and USL. Uh, the, uh, and this was, this was my contention when I, I worked at NASL and when we were, uh, and then when I worked with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, we were in a position where um, uh, as a club, uh, we, we, and as a league, we were not being given the, um, the help since we needed um, and the, and U.S. soccer was not working as if they were partners with us. They were working as if they were um, either opposed to us or indifferent to us. Um, and that, that's not good for a governing body. They have a responsibility if they want to grow the game in this country. And, uh, and, and the fact that U.S. soccer never at any point lifted a finger in this uh, situation in Irvine, they never – at, at, at one point, uh, at any point, said to the owners of the LA Galaxy or to the, to, to the president of the club, Chris Klein, who was a very good player, remember? Uh, in fact, uh, I was at a game where Chris Klein scored a bicycle kick goal for the Galaxy. Uh, and obviously, he had a great career with Kansas City before that. But um, they never said to Chris Klein that, that we know of or, or to um, AEG or to MLS, hey, we've got two clubs in sanctioned USSF leagues. Cal United and, uh, and, and Orange County SC uh, and their elite clubs in their respective leagues. Orange County SC is obviously the champion of USL. Uh, Cal United, I have said, well, they're the best team in NISA this year, and they're one of two really good ownership groups in NISA, proper clubs in NISA. Uh, a league that is struggling, quite frankly, doesn't have proper clubs for the most part, but has, has Cal United and has Chattanooga, as I mentioned. And never at any point did Sidney Parlow Cone or uh, anyone else working at U.S. Soccer say, hey, uh, to uh, the Galaxy, cool it. Or let's find an accommodation where if you somehow take the ground, you can work with Cal United. You can work with Orange County SC. Let's do something to where we have a partnership. We have a relationship between two professional clubs, uh, second division and third division clubs in Orange County and the two major league soccer first division clubs in Los Angeles County, the neighboring county. They never did any of that. That's on the Federation. And I, I can't make this – this it stuff is. doesn't happen in other countries. And, and, and it's not just because they have ProRel and they have – they play on a different calendar. It's also because they have federations who have set guidelines and they have a unified soccer pyramid. Um, ProRel is part of having a unified soccer pyramid, but it's not the only part of it. So – what we have now is predatory behavior from clubs and from leagues. And if they don't, if they don't uh, become the referee and, and, and try and stop it, there will be another situation like this. There will be an MLS team that tries to grab a ground to put a lower division team out of business that they perceive as a threat. Um, and, I, I, again, this is the other thing. I, because – MLS has territorial rights, right? And they fence off territorial, territorial area. And I suspect one of the issues right now with the Galaxy is um, they're the only – well, I guess there are two clubs, right? Because it's your club also that has the – although you guys are very definitively in New Jersey and New York FC is definitively in, in, in the Bronx for now. Um, but because yeah. LA is split between these two MLS teams, 
I feel like um, uh, the Galaxy are trying to grab Orange County because um, I can tell you from my own experiences knowing people in the Chivas organization in, uh, in, in the late 2000s, this was their thinking, was that because they were co-located with the Galaxy at the Home Depot Center, which is uh, in L.A. County, it's, it's actually closer to Long Beach than it is to L.A., but it's, you know, it's in L.A. In Anaheim. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, in, it's, in, it's closer to Long Beach, I would say, the, the Home Depot Center, or whatever it's called now, Stub Hub Center. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. but right. Chivas was always trying to grab fans from Orange County. They were always trying to do things in Fullerton and in, and in Irvine because they felt like that was a place they had to go in order to get an independent fan base that weren't Galaxy fans. I think the Galaxy might be thinking the same thing now. We have to go down into Orange County. We need to grab people in Irvine. We need to grab people in Santa Ana and Anaheim and, and Fullerton in these places to compete with LAFC. So um, this predatory behavior is encouraged by not having uh, not having established uh, an established referee that's willing to to stand in the in in the way and kind of facilitate conversations and force conversations. And one last point on this: so as much as we bash Shamil Galati through the years. And I think he was an absentee landlord a lot also. But when things got to a, came to a head, if he was the president, he would get involved. So when th- there were issues between uh, NASL and MLS, he, and USL and NASL, really USL and NASL, um, he would get himself involved. He would, he would personally talk to the stakeholders. He would try and facilitate something. Now, there was always the suspicion he was trying to facilitate something that was beneficial to MLS, right? Because the, the feeling was Galati was loyal to MLS. But whatever the case, um, he would get involved. Since he's been out as president between Cordero and Cohn, I think U.S. soccer has effectively just, uh, and since Dan Flynn left too, that would be the other factor, has effectively ceded uh, this territory. And Brian Ramidi's not there anymore. He's a guy who knew a lot had some of these relationships that, that could that could help facilitate conversations and and, and uh, relationships between leagues and, and, and clubs and uh, these people at U.S. Soccer now I, I don't think that they're very effective in in governance I don't know what they do honestly quite frankly um, and uh, we have a culture where we have a bunch of fans obsessed with the national team right they don't they don't think about any of these other governance issues so. They're happy as long as the national team's winning and they're complaining about Nike putting out the wrong kits, uh, kits they don't like, and going crazy about that when they should be more concerned about things like this. Um, so that's the state of things. I think even though I have a lot of complaints about Sunil Gulati's tenure, I don't think this Orange County situation would have quite have gotten to this point if he were the president of U.S. soccer still. I, I'm going, I am going to say that. I agree with you, actually. You know, some of the things that uh, Gulati has done in a negative light, you know, there are some positives out there because you can tell that Sunu Gulati truly cares about the sport. Because if he wasn't president of U.S. soccer, these shenanigans would never have happened. He would have nipped it in the butt right away as soon as possible. This falls on the board of directors of U.S. soccer. At the same time, if, I, if I'm going too far, then I apologize. But I also will blame the Athletes' Council for kowtowing with the Federation, basically going with whatever they say will do the same thing. Cindy Parlocone, I congratulate her for getting the equal pay situation done with for both the women's and the men's national team on their contracts. 
it's it's a nice, wonderful thing, but in reality, she has no say in this, and that's the truth. Because all the president of U.S. Soccer does is just a figurehead, in title, not in action. Well, so no matter is, what this, complaints this, there are, she's not going to do anything about it. This is the point. So the board of U.S. Soccer would complain privately about, oh, well, Sunil Galati and, and Dan Flynn, they're going out, and Sunil Galati will call Don Garber, and all this stuff he'll do on his own. Uh, and so will Flynn, and then they'll report to the board three months later what they've done. Well, okay, so p- there were people who were complaining about it and said, oh, well, Galati is too hands-on in his management. The board needs to take back control, and we need to have this done logically. And I, I, I bought some of those arguments from people. I was like, okay, yeah, maybe Sunil gets too involved in the minutia. Maybe Sunil should not be taking phone calls from individual owners of USL and NASL clubs and talking to them. Maybe that does need to go through staff or through the board. Well, guess what? He was the only one doing it, him and Flynn. Okay, so two guys, uh, the, two, the two guys at the top were the only guys who were minding the shop. The board is not minding the shop. And now what we saw is this, this, this talk that, oh, well, Galati was too hands-on. Flynn was too hands-on as the executive director or whatever. Yeah, I think secretary general was his title. Now we're seeing the people who replaced them, they're not, they're not, even, they're not even engaged in these conversations. So, okay, so Neil Galati made a lot of mistakes. We, we, we concede that. Uh, Dan Flynn made a lot of mistakes. We concede that. I'd rather have those two guys running U.S. soccer right now and, and Brian Ramini back in his job and maybe even Jay Burhalter back in his job than what we've got because right now it's chaos. Thanks to these guys. Yes. Uh, because they, I, exactly. What they're doing the board. The board. You're right. So things. So this is part of what happened in the post Galati era. The board very clearly, I think, wants the president to be a figurehead. And this is why Cordero almost got back in because there were a lot of people involved with soccer in this country who were like, okay, this organization isn't working for us anymore. And not that they loved Cordero, but he was kind of a guy that they knew, right? He had been president. He had been part of the Galati years, and they're, they were thinking, okay, maybe we'll get more hands-on. These were stakeholders. The people that, back in Cordero in that election six months ago were people who were um, involved in adult amateur soccer, involved in youth soccer, people who were involved in, um, in semi-professional leagues. Those people were back in Cordero. The Athletes Council was back in Cindy Cohn, and the board was back in Cindy Cohn, or much of the board. So that she she got reelected it was very close but the stakeholders are not happy i can't stress this enough and what um this orange county situation just puts it into greater light again what is going on within u.s soccer and um yeah i mean it is what it is u.s soccer has to shape up maybe they don't care they're hosting a world cup in 2026 they did their equal pay thing i give cindy Cohn a lot of credit for that i give her credit for the the, the tnt deal that her and Will Wilson, who's now leaving U.S. soccer, of course, but that they negotiated uh, with, uh, I said TNT, with Turner Sports, right? Those games may end up on TBS for all we know, but with TNT and TBS and HBO Max, that's a good deal for the national teams, very good deal for the national teams. Um, but in terms of this, these sorts of governance issues, I think they're, 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 um, they should have woken up based on the fact that Cordero, who left in kind of shame two years earlier, right, had to resign in shame, yep. almost came back and got the presidency back because so many people are unhappy with the way the organization is being governed. 
that that's pretty alarming because if Cordero had run again in uh, summer of 2020, he would have gotten nobody. Nobody. He may not have even got three uh, associations to endorse him to get to allow him to be a candidate. By the time the AGM rolled around in 2022, and you had uh, chaotic kind of anarchy going on and, and, and no governance and stakeholders being felt left out, Cordero's back, and it's actually kind of surprising he didn't win. He didn't win because the Athletes Council went as a block for her. But if you take the Athletes Council out of it, he won the majority of votes. Um, it is pretty remarkable when you think about it. That tells you all you need to know about how badly things have been going the last few years from a governance standpoint. You know, it really has, and it's just upsetting. It's just very, very upsetting to see what's happened here. And, you know, I, I hope that both uh, Orange County SC and the City Council of Irvine hammers out an agreement past 2023 to continue, you know, this situation. But at the same time, I, I truly believe it's time for Orange County, depending if they get the funds or not, and I hope they do, to actually find a, a place in Irvine, California, or somewhere in Orange County to build a, their own soccer stadium. That's how I feel, because that's the only way that all parties will be successful in this. And just as everyone is upset with you know, no promotion relegation going on, and I understand this. And I understand where those zealots are coming from. I mean, you can talk to anybody and everybody who believes in this, even Chris Kessel, who is a member of the West Virginia Soccer Association. Um, my friend, Dr. David Kilpatrick, who is the still, at the time, the historian of the New York Cosmos, how he's been wanting it. My argument has never been about that. My argument is this, as I'm going to say it over and over again. If all these clubs don't get their own stadium, it's not about what happens you know, when you get promoted, these clubs, to the next level. It's about what happens if you get relegated, that you're not going to be able to have a financial stability in front of you. That is the number one issue here. Because let me just say this. While I understand what goes on in the politics of this great game that you love, that I love, that we all love, that we all want to be a part of and be on the same plane just as they do in England and in Germany and in Italy and in Spain and Scotland and France and every country in Europe and Asia and Africa, uh, even in South America. And you know, if there is a form of it in Central America, Mexico did have it, and I think that they're still, they've still uh, uh, at the moment suspended it. But I don't know if it's back on or not. The point we're making is that I'm making is this: we cannot lose clubs in a financial death if all if all professional clubs build their own stadiums. That is the number one thing, and I will even go as far, and I agree with you and everyone else that says this professional uh, league standards rule is also destroying what the positive things should be happening down the road. Now, do I think this is going to be done on the snap of the fingers that the whole thing will be done by tomorrow? No. Hell, Kardec, maybe this thing happens after you and I are no longer walking on this earth. Because that is what yeah. we need to see. No matter how much bitching there's going to be about this, everybody has to be on the same page with the word. All not on the same page. It is utter chaos. 
and the best way to create utter chaos is self-destructing within ourselves, and we cannot do this. And I keep saying this. I keep saying this over and over. My wife laughs at me when I said it, actually, but the truth is this is what it is because I'm using this phrase that was used in the history of our country and at the same time the movie musical of 1776 when Congress in Philadelphia was trying to construct a meaning, a wording, a saying, a document to inform King George of Great Britain, of of England… Of why we should be our own nation, why we have to create this Declaration of Independence. Those states, then colonies, there were those that were for independence, and there were those that were for remaining a part of England. It was tied 6 6 through the first round of voting. John Hancock, then President of Congress, said he is voting for for unanimity, meaning he did not want this country then, all the colonies, to have a civil war to who wants to be free and who wants to be part of the royal crown. Because why? Because he wanted everyone to be on the same page for the right reasons. And those words are either we all walk together or together we must stay where we are. And I will continue to say that until we are all in agreement. No pro-rel just for USL. No pro-rel just for MLS 1, MLS 2. We all have to be on the same page to make this work because it's all intertwined. And for that to work, every professional club in every professional league under the umbrella of U.S. soccer, whether they like it or not, must build their own stadiums and own that stadium and run it the way they must. Or else we have failed completely. I agree. Because it, 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 you know, all the hard work that we have all put into this. Not just what Alan Rothenberg wanted. Not just what Sunil Gulati wanted. Not just you know, bringing in Doug Logan as the first commissioner of Major League Soccer. Now Don Garber in MLS. Papadakis that ran USL. Now it's Jake Edwards. And a bunch of owners that wanted to start NISA. And even the owners, when you were running the North American Soccer League before, how shameful... That ended. We all want the same thing. This game means a lot to all of us. You know, it's easy for England, and it's easy for those people in Europe and everywhere around the world. They're born into football, soccer. When it comes to someone like me that once was a part of it but then lost it because the original NESL died along with the New York Cosmos… In this country, maybe you do find football, but sometimes football finds you. And when it does find you, you will be the dedicator at the same time. The passion for this game runs amok, and it's a beautiful thing. 
But unfortunately, we're seeing the bad side of it, the negative side of it. And it's self-inflicting. So until we get all these issues solved and become whole once again, we will flourish. But until then, we are in utter chaos. Cardiac, your thoughts? No, I completely agree. That was well said. And I think uh, the most important thing is for us to all be pulling in the same direction. And again, I'm beating a dead horse, so I'm just going to say it one more time. U.S. soccer needs to provide that leadership. They need to step, step forward and be a partner with all the leagues. They need to facilitate these conversations. They need to have us pulling in the same direction. Um, and right now, they're not doing any of that. No, they're not. And that's the shame of it. Because I think everyone has to understand this from, from this point out on. And it's the same thing with Major League Baseball, the National Hockey League, the NFL, the NBA, all professional sports leagues, because the truth of the matter is this. Yes, there is beauty in all games, in all types of situations. Yes, the natural way of things. But as you know, as well as I know, money makes the world go round. And for that beauty to continue, the financial end of it has to go along with it. Why do you think all this money goes to FIFA to see who wants to host a World Cup? Just like in CONCACAF, with just like the UEFA, just like UEFA, CONMEBOL, Africa, Asia, even Oceania. Who wants to host the next European uh, Cup tournament? Who wants to host the next Copa America? Who wants to host the next Gold Cup? Who wants to host the next Asian Cup, the next African Cup of Nations, the next Oceania Cup? Because yeah. that is the reason why this happens. Money makes the world go exactly. round, my friend, and that's the truth. Of exactly. it. That's the truth. You wouldn't have had a job with. Other than that, my friend, anything else you'd like to uh, give a final thought to? Or I think we've, uh, I think we've discussed this, uh, you know, straightforward. I, I think we, we've hit on all of it, and I'm thrilled that Orange County SC and uh, and, and probably uh, Cal United have another year at least in that stadium. Me too. I'm 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 thrilled as well. And the truth is, the hope is, and I don't know, I don't know if we'll see any hope, but the truth is, is that U.S. Soccer needs to fix their own house. They need to fix their own priorities because you're supposed to be the governing body of the game in this country, just like the English FA does all over England and so on and so on and so on. It's not just financial issues that need to be fixed or to be helped. Governing of this great game within our own country has to come first. What is right and what is wrong. There's no in-between. Everything has to be done the right way because if it's not going to be done the right way, we will be in utter chaos and the real people who will lose will be people who support Orange County SC, who support Cal United Strikers, any other supporter for any other club within our nation. And the truth is they may lose this form 
of communication and media when it comes to the game because it's going to be – and pardon my language, folks. It's going to be a bitch fest over and over and over again, and we cannot have that. Cardick, as always, you know, I, I'm, I'm always pleased to have your insights on this. We both care about this game in our country. We both want a positive outcome and the hope that one day our national team will win that little golden trophy. If it's not going to be this upcoming World Cup in November, hopefully it will be in four years' time when we host it along with Canada and Mexico. I always am grateful for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for everything you continue to do for the game in this country. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for tonight's special edition show. I want to thank my guests once again, the president of Orange County SE, Dan Rootstein, in the recorded interview, and my good friend Carter Krishnar of World Soccer Talk. Join me next time on Monday night as uh, the next issue will be Mr. Todd Bowley, and I'll try to be as kind as I can, but, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to discuss this situation uh, at, uh, at its best peril. For once again, for Carter Krishnar. And uh, thanks again for coming on, Mr. Dan Rootstein, president of Orange County SC. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for listening to me tonight and for Cardick as well. Please enjoy your football. Take care. So long and bye-bye for now. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.